This interview of Wisdom from the Top was recorded in 2020. From Luminary and Built It Productions, it's Wisdom from the Top. Stories of crisis, failure, turnaround, and triumph from some of the greatest leaders in the world. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, Jason Fried, the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp. One of the things that we do differently, I think, than most companies is we actually treat our company as a product. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that we are constantly iterating on our company itself. Hmm. How do we do reviews? How often should we do reviews? What kind of benefits should we have? What kind of workplace should we have? Like all these different things we were constantly tweaking. Like you know to improve a product, you iterate on it, but a lot of companies are just stuck. Jason Fried and the Gospel of Slow Growth. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So long before telework became a new and recent reality for millions of people around the world, Jason Fried was encouraging it among his 50 employees who work in 32 different places. And in a tech world consumed with the grind, where working insane hours is seen as a mark of commitment, Jason Fried built a company that insists you work no more than 40 hours a week, 32 hours in the summer. Jason doesn't want you to come to meetings. He doesn't really even want you in the office. And despite all of this, his company, Basecamp, is hugely successful. Basecamp is a project management tool used by millions of people around the world. It's not a billion-dollar company with a unicorn valuation. In fact, Jason has turned away investors who've dangled huge dollar signs in front of him. And that's because Basecamp is as much a culture as it is a business. It's about putting life and living before work and working. And when it is time to do work, it's about making it as joyful and collaborative as possible. Jason grew up in the Chicago suburbs. He studied finance at the University of Arizona, where he taught himself HTML in the mid-1990s. This was still the era of cassettes and CDs. And Jason had a problem that might sound familiar if you're a certain age. He would loan out his music to friends, and then he would never see it again. So he made a basic computer program to help people track their music libraries. He called it Audiophile, and he uploaded it to AOL with a message. If you use this, could you send me 20 bucks? At the time, Jason was still living with his parents. And then eventually I got an envelope in the mail, and uh, 
it was one of those airmail envelopes with the, the blue and red checks around the, you know, the edges from Germany. And I'm like, I don't know anybody in Germany. And my parents, like, they don't know anyone in Germany. And I opened it up and it was a printout of the form that I included with the software and a $20 US $20 bill. And someone saying like, love the product or love the software. I don't remember exactly, but it was like a handwritten thank you note kind of thing. Hmm. And that's when it all started. All right. So you're teaching yourself uh, programming and web design in college. And, and that basically becomes your job after you graduate, like designing and, and redesigning web pages um, back in the mid-90s. Um, which obviously that was the, the early days of people even having websites. Um, and then I, I read that you, you basically start this tiny design company in Chicago with another programmer and graphic designer. Yeah. So what happened was the three of us got together and said, let's start a web design company together. And so we did that. We each put in 10 grand of our savings that we had. Um, and um, started this little company. It was called 37 Signals, 37 Signals. Hmm. And we decided to do something radically different than everyone else was doing. Um, you know, back then, if you were to look at website design companies and you went to their websites, they would all have pictures of their work, of course. Right. Um, and But they all look the same because er, t- to the layman, everyone's work looks the same. It's like a pretty, looks yeah. good. There's stuff, right? Right. We decided to launch a site that didn't have any pictures. It was black and white. And instead of telling you, like, we didn't have a client list. We didn't have any client work. We just had 37 ideas. So, in fact, you can still go to the site today. It's 37signals.com slash manifesto. And that was our original site from 1999. I'm I'm checking it out right now. All right, great. (laughs) And that was the site. It was black and white. had 37 ideas. This is a – it's really cool. It's it's a – I love that it's still out there. Um, it's 37 just like 37 little things like we see people and you can click on that hyperlink or not full service or are they experienced and you just click on that and then it goes to a little page with a little description and that was your <laughs> – this is your page for your company. You're, you're basically saying to your, your potential clients, look, here's who we are and um, this is what we believe and just know that before you even contact us because um, you may not want to work with us. Um, we're going to be great if you want to work with us, but but you have to know this and you have to be aligned with this if you want to work with us. And we wanted to set ourselves apart by having a point of view. And uh, to me, a point of view is missing in almost every business that exists today. And most businesses don't know what they stand for. They don't know what they believe in. They just exist uh, and they just do work. And we actually had a point of view and, and we had the chops. Like we could show the client work to people when they asked, but we didn't put it on the site. It was more like a if you got past the gate, essentially, and you got inside and you were curious, then we can like open the, the book and show you all the great, beautiful pictures that everyone else is showing you also. But we wanted to get you through the ideas first to see if they resonated. Yeah. And um, in a sea of choices, we're going to stand out. Yeah. For better or for worse. But like that's the whole point. <laughs> and I've always believed in this one thing, which is that you know, typically people say clients hire you. Yep. But you hire clients too. And um, I hear designers and freelancers complain all the time about how much they hate their clients and their clients make them do this. It's like, well, you hired them yourself in a sense. Like you said yes to them when they asked if you were on board, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've always believed in trying to um, 
find you know find your tribe or your audience or whatever you want to call it and uh, and the only way to do that is to be opinionated about it and put yep. your ideas out there and be clear about those things so all right how did you i mean you, you guys are doing this what web design company for a couple of years and then you develop this project management software called Basecamp, which is today the, the main business that you do you don't do web design anymore but how did that come about in the early 2000s well, we were getting really busy. Yeah. We were in demand, and we were still small. Uh, and what ha- started happening is what happens to everyone as they get busier, which is they begin to drop the ball. Yeah, um, you know, Things slip through the cracks. You can't keep track of everything. You think someone else is on that. It turns out that it was actually your responsibility. Yeah. This is what happens in every growing organization. And it seems to happen around five or six people or even seven. You know, you get there to the size and you're like, oh, the things we were doing before don't work anymore because there's too many people doing too many things. No one knows what's going on. And there's too many balls in the air. And so that was that's what was happening. And, you know, we were pretty much using email and phone calls and in-person meetings at the time. And, and yeah. so we went off and looked at project management software, I'm like, none of this stuff does anything. Project management is not about charts and graphs. It's about communication. It's about putting things in the right place. It's about having a central source of truth so everyone knows where to go to get the latest stuff. It was that, and that's not what was happening back then. So we're like, I don't know, let's make our own thing. Um, But we didn't start by making it into a product. We started making it for ourselves. And it was very basic initially. It was like manually updated, like web page of links and started making this thing and started using it with some of our clients. And they, and they said, what, what is this thing? And we're like, uh, I don't know. It's just this thing we made to manage our, our projects. So like, you know what's due and we know what's due and we know who's responsible for what. And we know these decisions are on the record now and they're not scattered in a million different places. And they're like, well, you know, we have the same problems you're describing. Can we, we have projects too. Can we use this? Huh. And, and, and initially we're like, no, because it wasn't a thing right. anyone yeah. could use. Right. But then the light bulb goes on. And you're like, well, maybe, hey, we built something we need and maybe other people need it too. So we tightened it up, gave it a name, called it Basecamp, and uh, put it out there. And then this was in uh, February 5th, 2004. And it turned out that about a year and a half later-ish, it was making more money for us than our consulting business. Wow. Yeah. And so we stopped doing web design and it's been doing software ever since. How were people finding out about it? Just word of mouth? So, yeah, uh, pretty much. And it kind of got around and other people were blogging about it and talking about it and sort of spread organically. And um, that's essentially how we've done everything since then. So we've barely spent any money in 20 years on advertising and marketing. It's all been word of mouth. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, it just sort of took off. How did you, as you were building this company up, right, um, and as more and more people were using it, I have to imagine you started to get – people coming to you saying, we want to invest in this, we want to scale this, we want to make this into a huge billion-dollar company. First of all, did that happen? Uh, did people come and offer investments? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So talk, talked over or fielded inquiries, let's say, from well over 100 investors, uh, VC, private equity, you know, all the usual suspects over the years, definitely. And um, the answer is always no. Um, not interested in your money, don't want to grow, don't need it. We're just not interested in being on someone else's time scale. We're not interested in making someone who's already extremely wealthy, wealthier. We're not interested in doing things because 
growth at all costs. Like we want to do what we like to do and we want to do this forever, you know, ever meaning our careers. Like Mm -hmm. we've been at this business for 20 years. Let's try and make it 40 if we can. And that would be a pretty good career. Um, But if we took a bunch of money, the business would not be ours anymore. We'd have to do things we don't want to do. We'd probably have to sell or go IPO or whatever to return money to investors. It's like, those aren't the things we want to do. We want to make great products. We want to take good care of people. We want to uh, take great care of customers. We want to speak our minds without being afraid. All that said, and maybe you were going to get to this, but in 2006, we did take... Yep. Um, a small did, investment, right? Yeah. We sold a piece of our business to Jeff Bezos, but none of that money came into the business. So we've always been 100% funded by customer uh, revenues and always will be. All right. So you decide, all right, we're going to... Um you know, we're going to keep this intentionally small. How did you come to, I mean, now, yeah. now in 2020, it seems like a, just an incredibly wise, you know, mature decision. But in 2008, 9, 10, you know, 11, 12, when the money is just yeah. pouring into companies, into startups, I mean, that's really hard to resist. <laughs> How did you resist that? I think we value our independence more than anything. Our ability to do what we want to do whenever we want to do it, to do it how we want to do it, to decide to do stupid things that don't make any sense, to uh, to never having to answer to somebody else. I just – it's not what I want to do. It's not why I got into business. And it's so interesting to me that entrepreneurs who start their own businesses are so quick to give their businesses up to someone else. Like why would you get into this if you're just going to go work for someone else? And if you take a bunch of money, you are working for someone else. And by the way, what they want you to do is grow, grow, grow. Um, that's all they want you to do. They don't care about profitability. They don't really care how you treat your employees. They don't really care about a whole lot of things. They just want mm. you to grow, grow, grow. And I, that's not what I want to do. I want to do what, what we want to do. I don't want to be in that situation. So I, first of all, not only understand this, but I love this, but I want to I wanna push back. You're sitting in a room with somebody who is a, a representative of a you know private equity company or VC or and they're saying, look, you tell us the terms. You tell us what you want. We want in. You tell us what you want. We promise you we're going to be hands-off. We're great partners. If you don't take our money, some other company is just going to you know, crush you. They're going to copy what you do. They're going to have a lot of money to market it. And, and you, know, you, you might be principled, but you're going to be out of business. I mean, people said that to you, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, over the long term, they might be right. Um, but so far, they're not. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, but look, how do you resist that? What do you yeah. say back to them? Here's how you resist it. Well, first off, like, again, coming back to – and I, I know it sounds basic, but I value independence more mm-hmm. than a billion dollars. I, I don't need a billion dollars. Like, I, I, we've made enough – we've made an, a lot of money here. Um, we take really good care of our employees. We do a lot of things for a lot of people. And that's really enough. Like, it's misguided to think that the only way that you can build a great business and make money is if someone else gives you permission to do that. Yeah. And that's essentially what VCs do. Like, you need us to grow and yeah. to scale. Well, what yep. if I don't want to scale? Well, you're an idiot. Why am I an idiot? Well, because you won't get as big as you could. Well, Or somebody's going to crush you. Some other bigger yeah. company with better funding will just come in and... Yeah. It, to what end? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't end. I'd much rather go out of business... 
um, after a 20, 25, 30-year run, or at that point even a 10-year run, doing it the way I wanted to do it, than to be stuck in business, running a business I don't want to run. Because this is my day job. Yep. I want to create the kind of company that I want to work at. So all the other shiny objects they can give you, they can put in your face, like they don't shine for me. And uh, so like they're dull. I, yeah. I, I can't get any more specific because it's just a feeling, but I don't want what, they, what they're giving me. I'm not yeah. interested. So, all right, so let's talk about this for, for a moment. Basecamp is a, an, an enterprise software uh, project management tool Use I think you've got like three million users or something like that. Something like yeah, that. individual users. And you have like fifty employees, right? Yeah. And yeah. and and a lot of those employees don't even work in Chicago, where you have an office, right? Like they work all over the world. Yeah. In fact, even the people in, like I'm here at the office in Chicago. There's only four or five people or three people in the office on a given day. We have fifteen or so that work here in Chicago. So. Um, yeah, we're a remote company. We do have a headquarters, but we're pretty much 95% remote. Describe, like, your office environment. Like, describe, I mean, first of all, how do things happen, right? Like, because people <laughs> people assume that you need you need to have meetings, right, for example, and you need yeah. to have face-to-face interactions. And, I mean, everybody you know who's a, you know, a workplace expert will say, You've got to have interaction, human interaction. That's where creativity happens. That's where ideas are sparked. Um, people need to be in the same room. But it sounds like you don't do any of those things. We rarely get together. I don't disagree that getting a few people in a room together can spark something new. But these moments of like – I love these like there's supposed to be creativity all the time. Yeah. It's like no, no. <laughs> like, you need to like come up with an idea. Yeah, okay. And then you got to do the thing. you got to do the work. So – there are moments when we might get a few people in a room and Spark might come out of that. But we can also do that over video chat. We can also do that over Basecamp. You can do it in a lot of different ways. It's the meeting of the minds. It's not the meeting of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why I think we're able to do this is because we began as a remote company, essentially. Like, we were very comfortable mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. And we were able to spark plenty of ideas and, and all these things. So, you know... You don't need all this stuff. And in fact, most of this stuff gets in the way most of the time. I mean, if you went around I, if you went around and asked, like, do you like all these meetings you have to go to every day? No one would be cheering for you. They'd be like, no, it's totally annoying. It's disrupting my day. It's interrupting my time. My days are chunked up into small bits because everyone wants a piece of me constantly all day long. Yep. Like, that doesn't work, yet everyone does it. So we've always just kind of looked the other way. And so what actually works? Well, what works is giving people a full day to themselves every day to do their best work, to create an environment where people can do their best work, which means getting out of their way. So in in a sense, by being remote, we prevent ourselves from interrupting each other. That's not to say you can't have online meetings and you can, you can do all this stuff, but we're primarily an asynchronous company in that we write things up in long form. Hmm. We post these things to Basecamp in a message board, and then people spend a day or two discussing them on their own time and on their own schedule versus where you have, when you have a meeting, you have to pull everyone off of their work to go into a room together and spend, you know, 10 people in a room for an hour is a 10-hour meeting. It's not a one-hour meeting. It's 10 hours. It's expensive. It's not worth it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. So like anyone who runs a business, small or medium-sized business, you run a small business, even though it's a very successful business. Um, I run a small business, right? Um, yep. One of the hardest things is hiring people. How do you hire people and then train people to mm-hmm. to, to kind of be self-directed? Yeah, well, um, you're right, by the way. I mean, it's it's, it's so important. Um, you got to hire the right people, and you want to keep people around for a long time, too. So... Um, the majority of people here have been here for more than five years. We just celebrated an 11th anniversary for someone yesterday. We, we take longevity and, 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 and tenure very seriously because um, it is expensive to hire people. It is expensive to train people. And losing people is incredibly expensive. You lose institutional knowledge. You lose all sorts of things. And so when we look to hire, we only hire a few people a year. So that's number one. When you keep things small, you can be very selective. And when you're very selective, you can figure out exactly the kind of person you want to hire. Um, and, and I'm not talking about like just the skills, because there's lots of people out there with certain skills. But it's like, what kind of person is this? Um, how how self-directed are they? What's what's their previous career experience like? Um, are they someone who needs to be told what to do, or are they yearning to do what they think they should be doing? You know, you kind of can get into these different sort of questions about people and. And dig in here with them at a different level versus just filling seats. Yeah. I mean, how do you – I mean, if if a Slack or, you know, or another company that works on enterprise software like Salesforce 
you know, they, they're going into LinkedIn and they're looking at the people who work for your company and others and they're constantly pinging them and saying, hey, come work for us. I mean, it happens, happens to me, right? With, with, sure. with, um, come work for us. We, you know, we'd love to talk to you. And let's say they offer your people like a lot more money. What, what is it that you're able to do to get people to say, no, I'm, I'm cool. I'm good here. <laughs> well, first off, we pay exceptionally well, but that's not the reason people stay because you can always find more money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we like to think of it as the, as the environment. Um, this is a place where people actually get a full eight hour day to themselves to decide how they want to spend that time. And that is very attractive. Um, our benefits are wonderful as well. We take care of all that stuff, but then we give people time and attention to themselves. We protect that stuff. You ask people what it's like at work at most companies and they'll be like, it's crazy at work. I'm super busy. I have no time. My calendar is full. I've been working all day. I got nothing done. Uh, this is what people's lives are like. And everybody knows that. That's not what life is like here. And so when when people who work here see that and when they've worked in other places, they, they know um, that this is the kind of environment where they feel like they can do the best work of their lives. And that means something to those people. And when you get enough people like that together... It creates a wonderful environment yeah. to work in. Yeah. Here's the other thing. We only have to find – we have 56 of them, right? We only have to find 56 people like this. Um, so that's another advantage of being small is that you can really be very, very thoughtful about who you hire and you can treat those people exceptionally well. For example, we pay 90th percentile rates hmm. for San Francisco rates hmm. in our industry, which are the highest – market sure. in the world. Yep. We have nobody who works in San Francisco. So right. you can go work, you can go, we have a customer service guy who lives on a farm in Tennessee. He gets paid like he would if he lived in San Francisco. If someone comes and says, I can pay you more, well, maybe you could pay someone more. Um, but, but what about all yeah. the other things? You right. know, they, they, can you give yeah. them freedom? For example, we don't have a calendar system here. We don't, we don't have shared calendars at Basecamp. Hmm. No one can see <laughs> anyone else's calendar. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can't take anyone else's time. Um, if you want someone's time, you have to ask for it. So anyway, we don't have these trappings of corporate America where, where your day is full of stuff that you didn't put there and that you have to deal with. And then you've got to figure out how to work at the end of the day. You got to work on mm-hmm. the collars, like early morning, end of day or on the weekends because you can't get work done at work. Right. Um, 40 hours a week is all we do. It's all we need to do. If we can't get it done in 40, we just don't do it. I mean, I have a million questions, right? Because, uh, of course, it's, it's, it's incredible, right? And, and I, think, I think smart companies hire for kindness. I mean, uh, the, uh, all, all the producers that I work with uh, on any of my shows, um, that's how we hire. We hire for kindness. Mm-hmm. We really do. And, and we can train you on, on, on everything else. Yep. Um, but how do you, for example hold people accountable? Do you do performance reviews or do you, do you not even do that at all? Yeah, we do uh, performance reviews once a year. Um, people are held accountable because they work in small groups with other people mm-hmm. and everyone wants to live up to everyone's ex- expectations of doing great work. And no one can hide here because the work is out in the open. We all see each other's work all day long. And it's pretty clear who's mm. doing well, who's who needs you know a hand. Um, yep. One of the things that, that we do differently, I think, than most companies is we actually treat our company as a product. 
Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that we are constantly iterating on our company itself. Hmm. How do we do reviews? How often should we do reviews? Should we do them this way or should we do them that way? Um, what kind of benefits should we have? What kind of work workplace should we have? Like all these different things we were constantly tweaking. Like you know to improve a product, you iterate on it. Yeah. But a lot of companies are just stuck. They just yep. don't iterate on themselves. We are always iterating on our company. So, I mean, obviously it sounds like a really flat, you know, kind of structure, right? You yeah. – you know, you're sort of, you know, you're one of the principals. And then and then does a company sort of work in like little cells, like cells of six or nine people with one kind of project leader in each cell? We have a few different groups, right? We have customer service. We have programmers. We have designers. We have a technical operations team. We have a security team. So we have groups like any company, right? But on any given project that we're working, a project might be, let's say we're adding a new feature to Basecamp. No more than three people work on that. And in most cases, it's just two people. So we work in teams of three or fewer, and we work in six-week cycles, which means that nothing we do can take longer than six weeks to do. Hmm. And that's not to say that we don't um, back-to-back-to-back certain things. Like we're making a new product right now. That's taken a year and a half to do, but it's built up of six-week cycles at a time. Um, And what six weeks forces us to do with small teams is to be very mindful of scope. Like how much work are we taking on? We don't add more time. We cut back scope. We cut back our ambition. We try to get as simple as we can with the thing we're trying to solve. And by keeping the team small, keeping the timeframes strict and tight, um, we're able to do a whole lot of work and not get caught up in all the stuff that doesn't matter. And, and the longer you go on something, the more stuff you're doing that probably doesn't matter. And then if you sink, let's say, six months or seven months into something and you're like, it's almost done. Well, you're going to throw another month at it because you already put eight months into it. Yep. And then you've got nine months into it. Now it's not quite done. And before you know it, it goes a year, year and a half. Like that doesn't happen here. Now, and one of the things that you're kind of adamant about is 40 hours. Like you don't want people working more than 40 hours a week. They're not paid right. per hour. You're just saying to people, please don't work more than 40 hours a week. Yeah. Uh, just be focused on your work when you're working. Yeah. Well, first off, 40 hours a week is a lot of time. Yep. Um, Eight-hour days are long. And yep. if you don't believe me, go get on a flight from Chicago to London and just sit there. Yep. It's an eight-hour flight. Yep. It's long. <laughs> you're going to look at your watch halfway through and you're like, oh, my God, it's only been four hours. Only four hours. Yeah. And so eight hours is a long time if you actually literally have eight hours to work, which is what everybody here has. So it turns out if you actually put in a good eight-hour day, you're done by the end of eight hours. Like you're, you're toast. You're, you've put in your day and you're ready to go home. And that's not to say that sometimes you don't have the urge to do more. But you know what? Just wait till the next morning. It's fine. Nothing needs to happen at 8 p.m. at night that can't wait for 8 a.m. the next morning, unless it's an emergency. And that happens, you know, once or twice a year, literally like a server's down or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's a different story. But day to day, when the day's over, about eight hours, you go home. You yeah. have life. Yeah. Eight hours of work, eight hours of life, eight hours of sleep. That's what we profess. That's what we want. And we don't want weekend work and we don't want, you know, late nights or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The amount of work I think that's getting done in general across the world, like you kind of assume so much of it is wasted work yeah. on meetings that don't need to happen or projects that don't need to happen or features that don't need to be built or yeah. ideas that don't actually need to come to fruition. And we're just very careful about cutting back on our ambitions and not getting too ahead of ourselves and just doing the things that we absolutely know need to be done and then essentially kind of nothing else. 
What's so interesting about what you talk about and what you do and what you stand for is it is very counterintuitive, right? And it does – it runs up against huge forces that are saying precisely the opposite. And we'll say, well, you know, may work for, for Basecamp and Jason, but, you know, that's because they're small and they want to stay small. And, and I guess your answer would be precisely, exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? There is a – this idea, which is taken as an article of faith, certainly in the tech world, that you've got to innovate or die, right? If you don't innovate and you don't grow and you don't offer more, you die. And, you know, you've got this really great project management tool that I'm sure you're constantly updating and making better. But, I mean, there, there could be a, a world where there are multiple competitors better funded. I mean, they exist already. Um, yep. Who you know, start really start to eat away at your market share and then your revenue starts to decline rapidly because you're not as obsessed with, you know, making more and creating more and building more. Is that ever an anxiety you have? Well, first of all, you're right that that can happen. Um, and we're also okay with things we can't control. Hmm. I can't control some competitor who all of a sudden raises a billion dollars and wants to target our customers and plaster ads everywhere. I mean, like, I can't do anything about that yeah. anyway. Yeah. And the longer answer here is, though, like, nothing lasts forever. And look, if we go out of business in 25 years, we, we make it to 25, that's a pretty good run. I am mm -hmm. not ashamed of that at all. No. no. There's no signs of that happening at the moment. It could, though. Of course it could. And also these well-funded companies could also go out of business, by the way. A lot of these companies are losing tons and tons and tons of money. Yeah. And at some point it's going to run out. And, you know, one of the great secrets of, I don't like to use this term winning, but winning in business is just outlasting everybody yeah. else. Yeah. But having a bunch of money in the bank and spending it wildly is no guarantee of success. You're probably losing a ton of money. Uber still losing billions mm -hmm. of dollars a year. Those aren't good businesses. The corner store, the, the dry cleaners down the street is a better business than Uber is, um, yeah, technically. Totally. You know? And so that's kind of our, our take on it. We just want to get our economics right and not worry about other people's economics. How do you – let me give an example of what I get multiple times a day through social media and you know my public email channels. Hello, guy. I, I'm offering you an opportunity. It's always an opportunity. <laughs> of course. Right? Um, <laughs> to collaborate on XYZ, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes it's from people who have are well-known or have a lot of followers. And, you know, I always want to be friendly and, you know, collaborative, especially when people say, let's collaborate. But, mm -hmm. but that requires a lot of time and energy. You know, people must come to you all the time and say, Jason, I love your ideas and your books on, on the workplace. And um, we want to collaborate with you. We want to build this out. How do you sort of just figure out what you say yes to and what you say no to? Yeah. Um... It can be a challenge sometimes, but I've just gotten good at it. And the only way to do it is to practice. And I have like a – this kind of this thing. Whenever I, an idea comes up that I hear about that someone wants to do something with me or whatever, I always try to think about it a year from now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what if I said yes to this? How will I feel about this a year from now? Yeah. Saying yes costs you nothing now, which is why we always almost say yes because it feels good and it costs you nothing now, but it costs you everything later because it costs you opportunities down the road. Something might come up down the road that you want to do instead, 
and now you can't. I try to keep my schedule open and my options open, and that means saying no to almost everything off the bat, including my own ideas. So I'm not Hmm. discriminating against other people's ideas. I have so many ideas that I'd like to do that I have to say no to, almost all of them. And what I'll often do is I'll say, like, "Um, I can't do that now. If you want to hit me up later in the year, we can try again. And most people just don't. And that's actually fine fine with me. And you know what? Like, no one cares about you anyway. And I mean that to me, too. Like, no one cares about anybody, really. So, like, no one's really that think, oh, guy is not a collaborator. Like, for five seconds, they think that and they go off to the next person. And then you get to do a few great things in your life that you're really proud of. And and isn't that enough? Yeah. that's, That's how I see it. Is money important to you? Um, yes. And I think it's disingenuous for, like, I've done very well for myself. Um, I am, quote, rich. Let's just say that's what you would call me objectively. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. always hard for someone in my position to talk about money because I think it's disingenuous, but more money is not important to me. Right. I've really never done anything in my business, like, to get to a certain number or anything like that. And look, it's important. It's, it's a very comfortable place to be financially independent, and I'm not going to downplay that. I'm very fortunate and very lucky. Um, and by the way, luck really plays, I think, the biggest role in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it's important there. But, but, but like one thing that's different about our business is we don't actually have any goals. So we don't have financial targets. We don't have revenue targets. We don't have customer acquisition targets. We don't have retention targets. We don't have any of these targets. We don't have any of these numbers that we're trying to hit. We just try to do the best work we can Mm. and let the chips fall where they may. And that's sort of how I've always tried to live as well. Yeah. I mean, do you think, and this is a bit of a sensitive question, you may not have the answer for this, but but do you think if you were not financially independent, you would be able to have the kind of freedom to say, let the chips fall where they may? Um, Probably not. Uh, at the same degree, but now, of course, it's very different if you're if you're actually working poor. Um, that's a whole other level of of situation that I, I, of course, can't speak to and don't have any experience with. And and I'm not going to even for a moment um, act as if what I'm saying applies there. But for most people in the professional world who have a decent paying job. Who, who, or an entrepreneur who's just getting started. Like, if you think that you have to be the next Zuckerberg, although who wants to be that? But that used to be what people <laughs> wanted to be. If you want to be the next Zuckerberg, that that's the only way you're going to be happy, then you're fucked. Mm-hmm. You are screwed mm-hmm. um, because you will not be that. Do you see yourself as a leader? I mean, or do you do you see yourself sort of kind of overseeing a company of fifty leaders? Um. My responsibility is to lead the company and, um, you know, but I, I don't get up in front of people and like make big proclamations. And right. Like I'm not that you know, like that. Like I'm not like I don't think I'm a particularly motivating person. I'm not like out there trying to motivate people You're in, not, like, in this certain ways. cheerleader kind of CEO. Yeah. No, I'm right. not that. Yeah. I'm not that. I'm just like, here's what we're doing. Here's the vision. Here's the idea. Uh, I trust everyone to do the best work they can. I, everyone here is really damn good at what they do. And um, let's do it. And, you know, that's kind of... And, you know, when so- people do great work, we celebrate it and the whole thing. But I'm not like the the rah-rah cheerleader kind of CEO. I'm not like out there pitching the big, like, we're going to change the world, which I think is such BS in most of the case. Like, most of the time, we're not out there to change any any worlds. Um so I, I do think, though, that we have a unique perspective in the industry as a company in this industry of speaking truth to power in a sense. 
leading a charge towards sustainable business practices, profitability, and and pushing against big tech and, and invasion of privacy and that kind of stuff and monopolistic powers. And by the way, we're not beholden to anyone, so we can say these things. I, I did this thing. We, we, we don't like to advertise on – we don't spend any money on Facebook. We don't spend money on Google except for one ad we're currently running, which basically says like we don't want to run this ad. But we have to run this ad because Google sells our registered trademark to our competitors who then use it against us to show up higher in the results than us. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but that's this ad we're running. And um, this ad got a lot of publicity a few months ago. Lots of press, did around a lot, a lot of press on it, went on TV to talk about it on CNBC. It was a big deal. And the reason we're able to do that is because um, everyone else who knows that this is true, that this is ridiculous, that Google sells registered trademarks to your competitors – very few people are willing to speak out on that because their board would say, don't do that. Someone's going to take retribution on you. Maybe you already spent a bunch of money with Google and you're afraid that Google's going to take retribution on you or, or change the results on you. Like people are afraid to speak out. We are not because we are independent. Do you, um, yeah, I mean, do you, um, I, I, I don't even want to ask you this question because I, I, Go I think, yeah, do, do you think you, do you think that you were born with the, the skills and the, the talent and all all the things that you you do, or do you think that you kind of figured it out and learned how to do it over time? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm guessing that I figured this stuff out, and because I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I know what to do. I, I'm making stuff up as I go. Yeah. And you know what? I think everyone does. I agree. Um, agree. <laughs> this idea that like everyone's got things figured. No one has anything figured out. We're all making it up as we go. Um, and what you what you want is like. You want to have a pretty good record over time. Um, and um, do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Sure. Yeah. So Gary, Gary has a great thing about um, – he's like, I want to be – I want to go like 110 and 86. Like he's like, I'm not looking to be 1 and 0. Like you know, I'm not looking for one win and no losses. Like, yeah. 110, 86, pretty good life. Um, and I love that thought, which is that don't dwell over things too much. Make a decision, move on. You're not going to get them all right. You're going to figure things out as you go. And by the way, you're going to disagree with yourself in a year anyway. Uh, I mean, there's so many things I disagree with myself about on a daily basis that I thought about yesterday, a new feature idea, a new concept, a way to pay people, like all these things like, eh, that wasn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we didn't do that. Or maybe we should, I didn't think that was going to work and it did work. Like, I don't know. You just kind of are a collection of, uh, of decisions along yeah. the way. Yeah. And Maybe just I have a lot of practice because I make a lot of decisions and I've I've made some good ones and most definitely have made some bad ones. But you can't go back and change a lot of things. Um, you just have to kind of keep going and um, and hopefully like on balance in your lifetime, you know, you're 110 and 86. Yeah. I think that's kind of a, a good path. That's Jason Fried of Basecamp. Jason and Basecamp are still trying to rethink the tools we use to work. One of their latest efforts, rethinking email. They're building a new email platform they're calling Hey.com. When they announced Hey.com, they included, you guessed it, a numbered list. 25 fundamental issues we have with email as we know it. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. The music for this episode was composed and performed by Drop Electric. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to Wisdom from the Top from Luminary and Built It Productions. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.